Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The Lord gave me a little rest last night, not only concerning this text, but also other things we've been praying about. And it's my prayer that the Lord would give us grace this morning as we look at these last two verses of chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we realize, I pray, and understand that without thy Spirit guiding us and directing us into thy truth, Lord God, we meet in vain. Lord, we don't even know how to worship you aright without your Spirit and truth. Lord, we invent things of our own imaginations. Lord, we make up words of our own choosing. So often we follow, Lord God, our own corrupt opinions and feelings and emotions. Lord, help us, we pray, that we could truly worship you this morning in spirit and truth and that, Lord, your word would go out in power and work effectually in our hearts and our minds, transforming us into the image of your dear Son. For, Lord, when you look upon us, you see your Son and all that he is. Lord, we long to be more like you, like we sang in that hymn. We long to be conformed into your image. Help us, dear God, we pray, that we'd hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning. Please give us ears and hearts to receive and minds to understand. Grant us your blessings, we pray, for without you we can do nothing. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You know, for many, these words of the Apostle Paul are merely a list of do's and don'ts concerning the Christian life. Words which one might swiftly read over, giving little or no thought at all as to why Paul would, by the Holy Spirit of God, pin them down. That all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And we move on so quickly over scriptures. For many in their zeal to search out the great things and truths of God, if I can so use that expression, They often overlook and ignore those seemingly small and insignificant truths of God. Yet it is by their ignoring and overlooking of such simple truths that they never come to be content knowing the greater truths of God. Let me say that again because we all fall into this error. I have many times in my Christian life, in my zeal, 
to know more about the greater things of God, I often overlook those seemingly simple truths. And yet, because of that, we're never content knowing the greater truths. Something seems to be missing. What is it if I can define or explain or declare the sovereignty of God or the election of God, and yet I am ignorant of the ABCs of the Christian life? I'm ignorant of what it is to be kind one to another, to be tender-hearted, to forgive others as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. What does it help me if I can define the greater, deeper things of God and yet I cannot walk the simple life of a Christian? Though Saul commanded a whole army of soldiers, it was a ruddy youth and one small stone which took down Goliath. Amazing when you think about it. An old army couldn't do it, but a ruddy youth with one small stone took down Goliath. It, beloved, it's not ignorance in knowing the great things of God which causes us to often stumble and fail in our Christian life. Listen to me closely. It's not ignorance in knowing the great things of God which cause us to often stumble and fall in our Christian life, but it's the apparent small truths we have overlooked and ignored in our search for greater truths that cause us to fall. Have you ever realized it's usually not a huge sin that causes us the greatest heartache, but it's those small ones that are like a thorn in our side that prick us every once in a while, that takes from us the joy of Christ and the things we know of Christ. It's usually not the huge sins, but it's those small ones. It's usually not the large truths or ignorance of the large truths which causes us to stumble, but ignorance of the seemingly simple truths, the simplicity that is in Christ. And we live in a day and age today where many put so much emphasis on studying the deep, dark things of God. I want to know the mind of God in sovereign in His sovereignty. I want to know the mind of God in His election and His predestination. I want to know the mind of God in His providence. And yet, when it comes down to Christian love and unity, we lack in the virtues it takes to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What good does it do when we profess that we can proclaim the deep, dark things of God and we cannot but love one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another? Beloved, it's not the big things, the big truths, the great things of God that causes us to stumble, the ignorance of those things. It's not knowing or understanding the seemingly small truths of the daily life of a Christian. Noah can build an ark on dry land because of God's commandment. And yet he gives in to drink when it's over. Such a great work. 
I'm not going to stay on that for a long time, but he built an ark on dry land. There was no such thing as rain, and God said, water's going to fall out of heaven, and Noah believed him. There was a mist that came up. There was no such thing as rain. Water from heaven doesn't exist. Noah had enough faith to build an ark, but he falls by drink. Moses, with a rod, can divide the sea. Yet with that same rod, strike the rock twice. David slew his ten thousands, they sang of him, only to fall by glancing at a woman once. And Peter, Peter, Peter was unable to walk on water, only later to deny his Lord three times. Beloved, the Christian life is intended by Scripture, by God, to be a consistent life. A consistent life, both inward and outward. Not only what we do outwardly, but what happens inwardly. It is, it is to be a consistent life. It is to be a keeping of our heart with all diligence, Proverbs chapter 4, while working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in us both the will and the do of his good pleasure. The Christian life is or must be a consistent life of inward and outward, keeping the heart and working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul said himself in First Thessalonians five, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, not partially, not just in certain portions, he says in First Thessalonians 5.23, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, entirely. He goes on to say, and I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is one of consistency, both inward and outwardly. A just weight, remember, and balance is of the Lord. Proverbs said, a just weight and balance. And though it's not sinful of itself to strive to know the greater things of God, let us not forsake those seemingly insignificant truths or smaller truths that deal with our average life as a Christian. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This is a very impressive list of corruptions and graces. One which must be put away. The first one, in verse 31, Paul says, these need to be put away, not covered up, or simply subdued for a little while. Paul says, put them away. Get rid of them. Put them away from you. 
while the other, like in verses 22 to 24, the new man and the old man, the other is to be put on, it's to be adorned, it's to be lived out. So Paul is saying in verse 31, put these things away, put them away from you. Don't just merely subdue them, don't just cover them up, put them away from you, and put on these things. The emphasis being on our putting on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And we'll get in that in a few minutes, but we can't just merely put off something. We've got to put on something like we've learned in verses 22 and 24. Paul says the same thing here. We can't just merely put away those things in verse 31. We've got to be able to put on verse 32. And that's the emphasis. But let me begin this morning. I'm not going to get into each word specifically until next week because this thing began to build as I began to study it. I want, to, I want us to look at two things this morning, two distinct truths concerning these words of Paul in verse 31 and 32. I want you to know, first of all, the flesh can be very successful to some degree. Listen to me very carefully. The flesh can be very successful to some degree in disguising and concealing the deceitful lust of the old man. Bitterness, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. The flesh can be in some degrees very successful in covering these things up, disguising them. Why is that important? Because sometimes we are content with simply covering them up. And I, I believe you all bear witness with me when I say so often we don't mortify the deeds of the body. We merely subdue them a while, and then we wonder why they come back up again. The Bible says mortify them. Paul says put them away. The flesh can, to some degree, cover these things up, disguise them. The Pharisees and scribes were so good at this, that Christ would declare himself they were like unto whited sepulchers, he said, which indeed appear beautifully outward. Men looked at them and said, my, these are pious and religious people. Look how holy and pious they are. Outwardly they appeared, Christ said himself, outwardly you appear beautiful. But within, he said, you're full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. So the flesh can subdue some of these things to a certain degree. Beware of that because we are self-deceivers. We sometimes, like I said, are content with subduing these things and not putting them away. We simply harness them a little while. Paul says, no, I'll put them away because the flesh can deceive us. Do you ever notice how Judas could walk freely and undetected by all? except Christ, for three years approximately, no one knowing he was of the devil except Christ, but he walked amongst the disciples. He preached. He did works. He did works of benevolence. He looked just like all the other disciples. And nobody nobody except Christ knew that he was of the devil. That is very deceptive. Think about that. To walk with Christ and the disciples 
for three years apparently, and none of the disciples, even when the Lord told him in the Last Supper it was him, they were still ignorant of the fact that Judas was of the devil. This is how deceptive and deceiving the flesh can be. We've got to be careful that we listen to Paul's exhortation in those three simple words, be put away. Be put away. The Lord said tares remain undetectable amongst the wheat. Until the blade springs up, he said, and fruit is brought forth, then appeareth the tares. So even tares amongst the wheat are undetectable until the blade springs up and the fruit is brought forth. Then the tares appear. So you see the scripture tells us that the flesh can in some degree subdue some of these things or cover them up or disguise themselves. That's not putting them away. That ungodly men creep in unawares in the church is because they appear outwardly and in word like Christians. Jude said, ungodly men shall creep in unawares. How do they creep in? The word unawares is important. Unaware, they don't recognize them. They're unaware of that. Why? The flesh can get really, really religious. If I can use that word. That's why Paul uses the word, put them away. Sometimes we're content with just cutting the fruit off. We don't cut the root off. We cut the fruit off. It's going to grow back again. We feel content because we've got some kind of control over it. No, Paul says, get rid of it. Put it away. Put it away. To all outward appearances, all ten virgins looked alike. Remember the parable of the ten virgins? All ten had the same outward profession. All ten had lanterns. Yet what not all could see is that five foolishly had not enough oil in their lamps until the time came that the bridegroom calleth. What do these things tell us? These things tell us as believers that we've got to be careful that we don't be content or satisfied with simply subduing these things for a while. We've got to listen to Paul's exhortation when he says, put it away, put it away. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. How do these things rest with us this morning as God's people? Do they occupy and govern our way of life and speech? How do we feel about these things in verse 31? When we read these words in the context of grieving the Spirit as well, when we read these words, how do they affect us? Are they merely simply words? Or must we humbly confess that sometimes we are fettered by some of these things? You see, preacher, I don't know whether I can truly say that I've put all these things away. Well, then let me ask this question. Like I said, how do you feel about these things? Do we loathe and despise the first sign of their appearance in our hearts and our minds? 
Do we hate them? For though our struggles belong in our putting away of these things, beloved, we must possess a true loathing and disgust of their presence. I don't want to discourage you if you're battling these things, if I'm battling things, if we're still battling some of these things, but it also plays an important part how we feel about these things. Are we bothered by bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and anger and hatred? Malice. Are we bothered by these things? Do we loathe these things when they rise up with inside of our hearts and our minds? Well, that's a very good sign then that we're putting them away. So don't be discouraged, but at least hopefully we're loathing these things. Are you following me? Some of these things are long and getting put in, are long and putting away. Growing up, I was a very angry child, very angry child, and I'm not proud of that at all. When your brothers and sisters make bets that you'll be in jail or dead by 21 because of your blind anger, we know what these things are. We loathe them. I hate the sins that made thee mourn. Oh, for a closer walk with thee, I hate the sins that made thee mourn. And drove thee from my breast. If we're in the process of putting them away, let us ever despise and loathe them. Never be content with merely subduing them for a while or covering them over. God give us grace to put them away. Put them away. The second thing concerning these words is that though there must be a putting away of such lust in the process of our putting them away, listen to me, it is by our nurturing and cultivating of the new man which aids in such putting away. What do you mean by that? Sometimes in order to put these things away in verse 31, we need to cultivate and nurture the things in verse 32. That helps put them away. You see, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the more I strive to be kind one to another and tender-hearted and forgiving, the more I'm going to be less bitter and wrathful and anger and have clamor and evil speaking. So sometimes in putting them away, we need to culture and cultivate the good virtues. Look at Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Let me read these verses because they kind of go real well with what Paul is saying. Second Peter 1, beginning in verse 1. Listen to these, this whole context here down to verse 11. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, so we've... He's established to have like precious faith. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. That's how grace and peace are multiplied, through knowledge of Jesus. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and to godliness through knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He's giving us divine power 
of all things that pertain to the life of God. So you see the promises. He's laying down the divine foundation upon which they are to build. Now verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. That's what we want to be, kind-hearted, okay? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, that's the old man, and besides this, he's laid the foundation, now look what he does. And besides this, giving all diligence, here's putting on and putting away, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that you shall never be barren nor unfruitful in what? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the goal is, it's not to make something of us, it's to know more of Christ. It's to know more of Christ. You know why he says, be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving one another as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you, so that we might be more like Christ. It's about Christ. And what believer does not want to be more conformed to the image of Christ? It's all about Christ. It's not that I might look good before men like the Pharisees, but it's all about Christ. If I desire Christ, if I desire only Christ, if I want to be conformed to the image of Christ, then when these things are added to me, when I add these things, when these things are cultivated in me, then I become more like Christ, and that glorifies God. Verse 9, though, watch this. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins, whereby the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see what happens when we lack in these things? Therefore, Paul says, put them away. Don't cover them up. Don't disguise them. Put them away. And put on these things. Sometimes in putting away the old, we need to cultivate the new man. I'd really like to get into those words further in this morning, but the time doesn't avail me to do that. But they're wonderful, wonderful expressions Paul uses. <clears throat> Some of them are unique in themselves. But it speaks of all kinds of Christian charity and benevolence. Being kind and tender-hearted. Caring about people, being benevolent to people, reaching out to people. We think as Christians, if we do anything of any kind of work of benevolence, we're trying to work for God's favor or merit. Or if we go out and put anything with preaching the gospel to benevolence, that we're trying to use methods to get people saved, that's nothing, has nothing to do with it. We are called on to be Christians, to be kind and tender hearted. It's part of the Christian life. We are called on to be hospitable. Even God is kind to the just and the unjust. Christians used to be known not only for what they preach, which is the priority, but they were also known for the way they lived. The church was a place where people could come when needed help and support. They were people full of benevolence and kindness. The world could reach out and say, these people care. They genuinely care for people. We think that obstructs the gospel. You know what amazes me the most? And I was thinking about this last few weeks. 
all these arguments about the sovereignty of God, election, salvation, how people are saved, how sinners are saved, and all this, we talk as though we have the ability to hinder God from sovereignly saving somebody. We have not the ability to hinder God from saving anybody. Why then do we profess, oh, election is a sovereign work of God. All those whom God calls, they'll come unto Him. That's right. Why do we talk, though, as though we can hinder that by something we've done? Are we not going back to a works basis? This world today, and we all realize that and understand that, morals and ethics are totally thrown out. And Christians are ignoring them as well. I realize that the greatest task we have as God's people in this world is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But nowhere will you find in Scripture that that means we need to stop being benevolent and kind and tender-hearted. Is all part of the Christian life. Do we know that all those things work together for that great day when all men shall stand before God? Do we know that? Do we understand that? That every kind act we perform, every kind act we do towards anybody in this world lost or saved, is on Judgment Day going to rise up to either condemn those or reward those? Do you know that? Do you know that God notices every kind act we perform as Christians to all mankind, regardless who he is, if he's saved or lost? Do you know that God recognizes that and sees that? Well, the Lord said himself, said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Don't be boastful and prideful about it. Proverbs says, let another man praise thee, not thine own lips. The old Puritan said, but let that man have enough wisdom to keep his lips closed. You know why? Because we are prideful when begin, people begin praising us and thanking us. But simply helping people, simply being kind and benevolent. The church has lost this virtue. They become imbalanced. Look at Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three, verse seventeen. Peter's been talking about the end days and all these things, talking about verse 11, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness? Uh, the end days should should give us a desire to live more holy and godly. But verse, look at verse 17 and 18 of this chapter, the last verses. After speaking about all these things, this is what Peter says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Be, beware. Somebody, he said, you're in danger of falling from your own steadfastness. Not salvation, but your own steadfastness. What's the, what's the solution for that? What's the cure for that? But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. What's the key? What's the solution? What's the refuge we have to falling from a crow? 
with grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. How do we do that? Second Peter. Add to faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, patience. When you do these things, you shall not lack in fruit the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. You, you, you see how they combine together? That's why Paul emphasizes that. why Peter emphasizes it. Look in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Verse 14. Well, let's go ahead and read verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. There it's casting off again, putting on. We're always casting off something, putting on something. <laughs> Cast it off. Put on the armor of light. light. Let us walk honestly. As in the day. Not in rioting, drunkenness, chambering, wantonness. Not in strife and envying. Sounds like Paul. But put you on. There it is again. Put on. Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, and what? And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust of it. Don't provide provision for it. Don't provide anything for the flesh. Put on the Lord. Put off the dark. Put on the light. Walk. A few years back, um, I got the notes in my office, but a few years back, I, I went took a concordance in the Bible, and I just looked through the concordance to find out how often... The New Testament used the word walk, which is in Scripture a reference to our conversation, the way we live. You'd be surprised, alone in Ephesians, how often Paul refers to our walk. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, walk therefore as dear children of God. It is important for us as Christians, if we're to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, if we're going to be if we're going to be fruitful in good works, if we're going to see the success of the gospel, that we maintain a proper balance, a just weight. When Christ walked amongst men, it wasn't merely His teaching that brought men unto Him. It was His genuine concern, His genuine sincerity, His careness about people. Now, true, I know that many of them followed him for the wrong reasons. And he often rebuked them for that. But what drew people to Christ was not merely his preaching and teaching, which drew many, but it was just the fact that he was a friend of sinners. He genuinely cared. Christians should genuinely care about people, mainly for their souls. And I know there's going to be some who hear this message and you know how they are. They're, they're, they're bitter. Bitter is, you know what bitter is? I'm going to look at that next week. You know what bitter is? Bitter is actually somebody who can't find nothing good in anything. Anything that's good, he finds something wrong with it. And boy, do we have a multitude of Christians like that. They listen to a sermon just to find something wrong. Do we as Christians look to be benevolent in our daily walk, kind, tender-hearted? Do we look and long to forgive? 
I'm getting ahead of myself, but if we know anything about the forgiveness Christ has given us because of our sins, we should have no problem forgiving others. I don't care what they've done. I don't care how far they've gone. I'm telling you, I've said this for years. There's nothing in the scripture that justifies us never forgiving a brother or sister. How often should I forgive my brother? Peter said, seven times. How about that, disciples? That's pretty good. I'm doing seven. Lord said, no, seven times 70. What? 490 times a day, whoever has to do that, the Lord said, nobody. In other words, he's saying, I put it on an unlimited basis. You should be prepared to forgive everybody, anywhere, regardless, how often and for what. That's a high standard. That's why Paul in our text says, forgiving one another as God, for Christ's sake, forgive. Why does he use that example? Because we forgive according to men forgive. Well, I'm not going to forgive them. They don't forgive me. I'm not going to forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. doesn't matter what they did to you. What you, you and I do to Christ? Look in Colossians chapter 3. A few more minutes here. Colossians chapter 3. I wanted us to see these two main points about these verses before we start looking at each one because they're very important. Colossians chapter 3. Sorry, look in verse 8. Colossians 3, verse 8. But now you also have put off, there it is again, put it off, all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Line not one to another. Seems like Paul's repeating himself, isn't he? It's important to be truthful with one another. You know, a lot of people can't take truth. You know, let me just say this in, in passing. Um, cultures are different. We all know that. Uh, I think we spoke about this in private before amongst one another. But the world today has trouble accepting the truth. I think we all agree with that. They don't like the truth, do they? Well, Christians don't like the truth. When people's truthful with them, they have a hard time taking it. Sometimes we think lying it's an act of charity or hospitality. That's not, that's not true at all. Sometimes it's better to say the truth. I'd much rather have a relationship with somebody who's truthful with me. Boy, they are blatantly truthful. That is comforting to me. It's comforting to me. One of the things I had to learn when I went to Germany is Germany's are blatantly truthful. Americans tend to lie and claim it's charity. I can't tell them that'll hurt their feelings, so I just lied. <laughs> Germans tend to be bluntly truthful. Now, there's an extreme on both sides. There's that pendulum again. But it's truth. How often does the Bible say, again here, about lying? Don't lie to one another. It's just, Paul says it too. There must be something to that. Why Paul said that, isn't it? No relationship can be built on lies. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off, there it is, put off the old man. Sounds like Paul, then. It? it is Paul, calling it Colossians in a different epistle. Put off the old man. Looks like Paul is being steadfast about that and his deeds. And I put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. Okay, you see there? Paul said the same thing in Ephesians. So what's Paul trying to get us to do? He's trying to get us to understand that we need to put off <coughs> the old man and put on the new. Be careful that we don't simply disguise and cover up the old man, but put him off. And many ways, 
enable for us to enable to put off the old man, it's cultivating the new. And the great significance of these divine exhortations, which Paul is giving us in verses 31 and 32, is revealed in verse 30 when he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. It's in that context of how we relate to one another <clears throat> and to all mankind, but basically to one another as Christians. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. God give us grace to kindle and cultivate kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiving one another. I, I love those three words, and I can't wait to kind of uh, kind of look at them briefly next week. I, I want us to look at these words because they each have a significant meaning, and we need to understand them at least at least the basics of them so that we might comprehend them more because they do mean a lot in Christian life. They really do mean a lot. Bitterness, anger, malice, glamour, evil speaking, but so does kindness and tenderheartedness. Tenderheartedness, that is basically what I'm saying. That's where we care about other people and what happens to them. We genuinely care. One of the reasons why I could not sleep last night and I continue to pray for him is because of this colleague, John. And I know some of you have, well, it just burdens me. Here's a man, and I won't go into detail about it, but a man that young in his years, facing the inevitable. He's got a family and kids. It's going through his mind. What's he thinking? What's his family thinking? What shall they do without me? The wife thinking, what shall I do without him? He'll not walk his daughters down the aisle. Why see them grow up to go to school? We're so callous about the people's sorrows and troubles around us. We ought not to be as Christians. What's that lead us to do? It leads us to this. Oh, that he might know Christ. The only comfort for somebody in that kind of situation, in any situation, but specifically that one, is Christ. People are dying without Christ. They're suffering under sin and its consequences. When the Lord looked on the widow with her only son as she walked by his casket the Bible said the Lord had compassion on her when I were touched it and you raised him up why is it that we have then so much trouble following the example of Christ certainly not going to hinder the gospel if we believe it's the power of God unto salvation no matter what we believe So Paul says, put these things away. Put them away. And be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And I was questioning myself and asking God if I should stop at chapter 4. But after this week, the Lord just said, no, how can you, you can just stop right there? Because chapter 5, verse 1, let me read it together. In verse 32 of 4, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers. It continues. Be followers of God. 
followers. Look at that. Followers of God. As dear children. And walk in love. He says it again. As, as Christ has also loved us and has given us, given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God. It's amazing how Paul always goes back to Christ as being our example. Follow him. Follow him. Not what other men are doing. Follow Christ. God give us grace to be followers of God as dear children. And give us grace to put off these old things of the man, of the old man, and put on the new. And may God be glorified in all that we do. You know how we do that? We do that by simply doing it. See what he means? So let me use this example. One guy asked an old preacher one time, he says, I don't, he said, teach me to pray. He said, I don't know how to pray. He said, how can I pray better? He said, pray. He said, no, give me some, he said, pray. You want to learn how to pray? Just keep praying. Another man says, it's hard for me to pray when my heart is cold and indifferent. Preacher said, then pray until your heart's warm. Keep praying until it's warm. How do we, how do we do these things? How do we be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving? Do it. Live it. Walk it. That's the amazing thing of Christianity. May God give us grace and mercy that we might live these things out and be the Christians want to. It's not the great things. It's not ignorance of the great things of God that make us stumble. It's ignorance of the small, seemingly small truths that cause us to stumble. God, give us grace, we pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that, Lord, you bless the preaching of thy word to our hearts. We pray that, Father, Lord, we would be inspired by thy spirit and thy word to put off these things. Lord, may we loathe them and despise them in our hearts. When they appear and when they rise up, Father, we pray that, God, you'd bend our knees in prayer and that, Father, we'd ask you to help us, Lord God, to overcome these things. Father, we pray, give us the grace to mortify the deeds of the flesh, to put off the old man which is corrupt and put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Father, we pray, help us here in this small group of believers as we seek to go out and to evangelize and to preach the gospel. Father, I pray our lives would be an example of the goodness and grace of God that he's bestowed upon us, that people would want to ask us for the reason of the hope that lieth within us. Father, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all we say and do. Conform us more and more into the image of Christ, we pray, for it's his name and for his name's sake alone that we pray these things. Amen.